This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Two lengthy productions tonight, so I'll just say, enjoy the Bickersons. From Hollywood, it's dream time. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of Dream Shampoo are pleased to present the 12th in a series of new programs produced by Carlton Alsop and starring Don Amici. Blanche, let me sleep, will you? Danny Thomas. Progress. You call this progress? Kaiser is driving Fraser on on a motorcycle. <laughs> and our glamorous dream girl, Frances Langford, who sings... The moon belongs to Dream. Right. Never before dream could any shampoo reveal all the natural brilliance of your hair. Never before dream could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous yet so easy to manage. When you dream your hair, you bring out all its sparkling highlights. When you dream your hair, you glamorize all its soft, thrilling texture. And when you dream your hair, you remove all luster-dulling soap film and unsightly dandruff. More, Dream's rich whipped cream lather leaves your hair easier to set, easier to curl, easier to arrange right after shampooing. So, for lovely, lustrous hair, for all types of hair... Use Dream Shampoo with hair conditioning action. Never before Dream could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous, yet so easy to manage. D-R-E-N-E, Dream Shampoo. (laughs) 
And now, here is your host for the evening, Don Amici. Good evening, Francis. Before you get away, I want to tell you that I thought your song was delightful. And Toby, your commercial was stimulating. And Carmen, your music was magnificent. Boy, you feel great tonight, don't you? Oh, I certainly do, Carmen. Do you realize that it's March? The month that heralds spring? Oh, I just love March. Beautiful March. Me too. In fact, I'm looking forward to every month this year. Romantic April. Delightful May. Enchanting June. Exotic July. Carmen, you've got the soul of a poet. No, I've got an Esquire calendar. Well, I hope you and your calendar are very happy together. But as for me, I have spring fever. Uh, Francis. Yes, Don? I'd like to drop over to your house about 8.30 tonight. I'll put the top down on my convertible. And, and oh, I'm so sorry, Don, but I sort of half promised Danny Thomas I'd keep him company while he's experimenting with his new chemistry set. Oh, Francis, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? He won't pay any attention to you. He's had his eye glued to that microscope for three days now. Three days? Yes, that poor soul is trying to outstare a germ. <laughs> he hasn't got an ounce of romance in his body. Oh, I'm sure he has, Don. Did you ever notice his soulful round eyes? Well, did you ever see square ones? <laughs> Why, as far as he's concerned, spring is just... Oh, there he is now. The germ must have won. Danny! Danny Thomas! <laughs> Isn't it wonderful, Danny? What's wonderful? Spring will soon be here. Well, Yeah, can't you feel it? Can't you feel those soft, balmy breezes? Does something to a man, eh, Danny? Oh, I know just what you mean, Don. You do? Yeah, it makes you want to get out the old kite and fly the tail off it, boy. <laughs> Say, uh, uh, Danny, have you, have you ever thought about girls? Oh, girls. They fascinate me every time I see them walking down the street in their dainty open-toed shoes. Sure, I, I think about them a lot. What do you think about them, Danny? Don't their toes ever get cold? <laughs> Look, Danny, when a fellow's your age, he doesn't spend all his evenings reading popular mechanics or building a speckled bird's egg collection. Doesn't romance mean anything to you? Of course it does, Don. If I may quote from the classics, in the words of the immortal Hildegard. She's wonderful, Hildegard. I should only wear my nose the way she wears her hair. <laughs> Je vous aime beaucoup, toujours le mot, mon petit chéri. Oh, that's beautiful, Danny. What does it mean? If I knew, wouldn't I say it in English? <laughs> you see, what did I tell you, Francis? Danny, you ought to get yourself a girl. Ah, love is only for women. I've heard of a few men who are interested in it, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm afraid there'll never be any romance in your life. Ah, I guess you're right, Don. I'm kind of like parsley on a piece of fish. I look all right, but nobody wants me. <laughs> say that, Danny. I'm sure there must be somebody. Well, yesterday I did have kind of a date with the girl next door who went to the movies, and the three of us had a great time. The three of you? Yeah, me and my girl and the fella I brought along for her. <laughs> you brought a fellow along for your girl? Yeah, she makes me. She's boy crazy. <laughs> Obviously. He wasn't much of a fellow, though. A little on the dumb side. The dumb side. Yeah, what a dope. He spends 75 cents to see a movie and waste the whole evening hugging and kissing my girl. <laughs> Your girl? That sounds a bit like an overstatement. Oh, no, it isn't, Don. She told me that her heart belongs to me. She did. It's just that the rest of her likes to go out with other fellas. <laughs> Danny, maybe you better stick to your chemistry set. What do you mean? Oh, you're not with it. You're not on the ball. In everyday life, you're just not making any progress. 
progress. Hmm. You know why I'm not making any progress? Because I don't want to. You think this age of speed and tempo is good for you? Well, frankly, I never gave it much thought. Then give it some thought, Don. Progress. Have you seen the new 1948 cars? No, but I'd like to buy one. I can't afford a used car. <laughs> I'm serious about this. Things are moving too fast. You know, they say the two biggest features on the new cars are air brakes and unbreakable windshields. Now you can speed up to 200 miles an hour and stop on a dime. Then you press a special button, and a putty knife scrapes you off the windshield. <laughs> That's a handy gadget. Well, don't take it so lightly, Don. I mean, there's such a thing as too much progress. For instance, one of man's most priceless privileges, sitting down to dinner with his family, a simple little pleasure like that is in jeopardy. Why, the other day, my doctor showed me the latest invention in medical science. It's a little pill. Contains the equivalent of an entire meal. Soup, salad, steak, baked potato, choice of three vegetables, a cup of coffee and a big piece of apple pie a la mode, and two toothpicks. <laughs> You're joking. No, I'm not. I tried one, but a horrible thing happened. When I took the pill, it was upside down. Well, what's so horrible about that? I ate the dessert first. <laughs> what happened to the toothpicks? Don't be such a wise guy, will you? Oh, now, wait a minute, Danny. Progress has more good features than bad ones. Have you read about the new stockings for women guaranteed not to get runs? They're made out of cold wooden rubber. So what? Instead of runs, they'll get clinkers, splinters, and blowouts. <laughs> Inventions, inventions, innovations. Now, years ago, when a woman wanted to go to sleep, she simply put on a nightgown and went to bed. Today, before she gets into bed, she puts on hair crimpers, wrinkle erasers, dimple depressors, ear flatteners, nose straighteners. Uh, if a man wants to kiss his wife goodnight, he has to battle his way through $12 worth of hardware. <laughs> You know, Danny, you got me convinced. Let's both go back and play with your chemistry set. Now you're talking sense, Don. <laughs> Progress is all right, but it has to be harnessed. Now, look, I'd like to show you my new formula. It'll revolutionize present-day living. What is it? Beverage. Uh, what's it made of? Shh. Liquid. <laughs> mm, a liquid beverage. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Mm. Now, with study and forethought... And research and more thought I have discovered something new My magic elixir Is the wonderful fixer Of anything that's wrong with you I'll bottle it and I'll attain fame The whole world will honor my name Drink Thomas Cola and you'll whistle at the girls once more If you're half alive and you're 95 Thomas Cola makes you feel like 94 Drink Thomas Cola It has sparkle and it's cool and keen I can't rave enough You will love the stuff Unless you don't like the taste of kerosene Now if you're looking gone and you're feeling duller You really have no excuse Thomas Cola will give your cheeks some color Purple, blue, and chartreuse <laughs> Drink Thomas Cola Fill your glass and take a healthy slug 
It's a real surprise, makes your spirit rise, while the rest of you just lies there on the rug. Listen to testimonials from all over the world. From Milan, Italy, we hear from Mr. Antonio Garibaldi Tommaso. Well, I tell you. <laughs> I first tried Tom Sicola when I was 20 years old. And today, 10 years later, I'm very happy to say I am now 30 years old. <laughs> Tom Sicola, that's it for me. That's why I'm as happy as it can be. I drink wine until my top of she blows. And with the Thomas call, I always wash my clothes. <laughs> and now we hear from the Earl of Thomas, one of the leading literary lights of England, being interviewed. Milord, if you had your choice, would you select wine or Thomas Cola? Wine or Thomas Cola, you say? Well, milady. Wine, when aged in casks of choice oak, pervades my spirit like exotic incense. A thousand violins throb in my head. I am wafted in fleecy clouds to the seventh heaven above the seventh heaven. <laughs> I respond to its delicacy of flavor with the infinite me that has existed throughout the eternity. Whereas, milady, Thomas Cola... Yes? Yes? Thomas Cola makes me burp. <laughs> Africa. Let's listen to Mr. Thomas himself addressing a group of natives. Ogla, Ugwa, Wambo, Bola, Zango, Bango, Thomas, Cola. Tanza, Kango, Lava, Wa'o, Nico, Baka, Manda, Ba'o. Not 75, but 100% true. Yes, it's 100% true. Green Shampoo actually reveals all the natural sparkle, all the sheen, all the dazzling brilliance of your hair. Right. Never before, Dream, could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous. Now, that's because Dream is not a soap shampoo, so can't leave dulling soap film on your hair to hide its natural beauty. And what's more, Dream does not dry out your hair. Instead, its fragrant, freshening, whipped cream lather leaves your hair sublimely smooth, beautifully behaved, easier to set, and arrange right after shampooing. And Dream removes unsightly dandruff the first time you use it. So, for lovely, lustrous hair, for all types of hair, dry, normal, or oily, use Dream Shampoo with hair conditioning action. Use Dream at home or ask for Dream at your beauty shop. Buy Dreen at all drug department or 10 cent stores in the familiar blue and yellow package. Remember, never before Dream could any shampoo leave your hair so lustrous, yet so easy to manage. Yes, your hair can have that dazzling sheen the very first time that you use Dream. Yes, your hair can have that dazzling sheen the very first time that you use Dream. <laughs> Oh, 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 
And now Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas's brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over. Francis Langford to a special arrangement of Sonata by Carmen Dragon and the orchestra. Sonata, my sonata, I hear your haunting theme, and I begin to We promised you, Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas as Brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson wrestles the bedclothes in sympathetic agony as poor husband John, victim of a rare type of insomnia which manifests itself in alternate periods of coma and narcolepsy, reaches the crisis during an acute stage of the ailment. Listen. Mm. 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 Mm.
Oh, dear, now he's scaring himself to death. John, John, mm -hmm. are you in pain? Are you in pain, Blanche? What's the matter with you? What's the matter, Blanche? Stop repeating everything I say like a parrot. Why do you repeat everything? Hmm? Why do you repeat everything? You just said that. I know I did. Why do you repeat everything? Keep repeating everything like a parrot. Very funny. I'll bet you're a riot with those broken-down friends of yours. I never want them in this house again. None of my friends have ever been in this house. Why not? Are you ashamed of me? I'm not ashamed of you. Then why don't you invite them here? Because they're a bunch of bums. They're not bums. When we got married, I gave up all my girlfriends. Why don't you do it? Okay, I'll give up all your girlfriends. <laughs> I wish we could meet some nice people. You should belong to a lodge or something. Why don't you join the Elks, John? I'll join next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you join now? What? Go on, get up and join the Elks. <laughs> Blanche, are you out of your mind? It must be three o'clock in the morning. It's only half past two. Oh, why don't you let me sleep? You know I have to get up early. I won't let you sleep. Because if you sleep, you'll snore. Then you'll wake me, and I'll wake you, and we'll argue, and I won't get any sleep. I promise, I won't snore. You always snore. Week in, week out. On Monday, you snore. Tuesday, you snore. Wednesday, you snore. Thursday, you snore. Friday, you snore. Saturday, you snore. So what do you do tonight? <laughs> oh, what's the use? <laughs> He's having that dream again. John, John, mm -hmm. you said you wouldn't snore. Yes, dear. Turn over on your side. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. What'd you say, Blanche? I didn't say anything. That was an automobile backfiring. Oh. John, mm. close the window. It's cold outside. If I close the window, will it be warmer outside? <laughs> close it. I'm freezing to death. Put a pan under it. I'll have the plumber in the morning. John, I have indigestion. I've never been so sick in all my life. All right, Blanche. I'm awake. Now, what's the matter with you? I don't feel good, John. Call the doctor. You don't need the doctor. I'll handle it. Where does it hurt you? Right here in the pit of my stomach. It's a shooting pain and it comes about every five minutes. How long does it last? At least a quarter of an hour. How can it last a quarter of an hour if it comes every five minutes? Don't yell at me. I'm sick. If I say the pain lasts a quarter of an hour, then it lasts a quarter of an hour. Okay. I think it's that dinner we ate at the Goosebies. The fish disagreed with me. It wouldn't dare. I never want to eat there again. Every mouthful was poisoned. And the portions were so small. Why, you ate like you were condemned. Well, you have to be polite when you go to dinner. I wish we hadn't eaten anything. I'm suffering so. Call the doctor. Oh, now, don't get hysterical. It's just indigestion. I know how to treat it. I'll fix you some hot ginger ale and oatmeal. Hot ginger ale? Make a new man of you. John Bickerson, I don't want any of your insane remedies. 
You'll treat me for indigestion and I'll probably die of liver trouble. Listen, if I treat you for indigestion, you'll die of indigestion. <laughs> now, do you want me to help you or not? Not if you're going to yell at me like that. You wouldn't yell at Gloria Gooseby if she got sick. Now, don't start with Gloria Gooseby. I saw you two at the dinner table playing footsies. Footsies. <laughs> you were so flustered when she smirked at you, you couldn't eat. I was not flustered. Then why did you put gravy on your ice cream? I always put gravy on my ice cream. <laughs> I love gravy on anything, and you know it. And a likely story. Ah. And the gown that woman was wearing. She ought to be arrested. I think she purposely swallowed that fishbone so you could stroke her back. I didn't stroke her back. I patted it. And I'd have done that if she hadn't swallowed the fishbone. I mean, if she hadn't been wearing that gown. I don't know how Leo stands for it. He's such a wonderful man, and Gloria's always playing sick around him just to get sympathy. Uh... A lot you care what happens to me. Every time Gloria gets a headache, Leo hugs and kisses her and fawns over her. Why don't you do that? I'm never there when she has a headache. <laughs> I mean, why don't you fuss over me? Now, listen, Blanche. You're not sick, and you know it. Well, I'm depressed. You're going out of town tomorrow, and I'll be so lonesome, I'll die. I'm only going overnight. I'll be back on Tuesday. If you cared for me, you wouldn't leave me. I'm not leaving you. I have to go on business, and I won't be gone over 24 hours. Suppose a burglar breaks in the house and finds me. It'll serve him right. <laughs> now, let me sleep. Please, Blanche, I have to make an early train. We've never been separated before. I'm afraid absence will conquer your love. Oh, no. The longer I'm away from you, the better I'll like you. I don't like the way that sounded. Well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's the most stupid saying in the world. What? Look at what happened to Mel Shaw. He left his wife alone for two weeks, and now he's the unhappiest man alive. And you know why? She was still there when he came home. <laughs> She was not. Louise got lonesome and she ran off with the upholsterer. When Mel came home and found out what happened, he went right out and got so drunk, they had to take him to a sanitarium. Why, well, he ought to be ashamed of himself. Why? A man should wait at least a week before celebrating. <laughs> Good night. Don't be so smart. You might come home and find things changed, too. Mm-hmm. Go on. Stay away from home for a month. Stay away for a year. See if I care. I'm only going for one day. Run all over the country. Go to Europe. Never let me know where you are. Just keep me sitting here wondering whether you're alive or dead. Blanche. Why don't you write to me, John? <laughs> now listen to me, Blanche. You have only one object in mind, and that is to keep me awake. I just want you to tell me you love me. I love you. Now are you satisfied? How much do you love me? How much do you need? <laughs> $45. I saw the most stunning hat, John. If I get it, I'm sure I won't feel so depressed. $45 for a hat? That's a fine cure for depression. That'll start one. Women need those things to cheer them up. Look at Clara, my oldest sister. Every time she's in the dump, she buys a dress. I figured that's where she bought her clothes. <laughs> I'm not giving you $45 for any hat, and that's final. Now let me sleep. Oh, I hate you. How my mother begged me not to marry you. She pleaded with me not to marry you. Your mother told you not to marry me? Yes, she did. Dear heaven, how I've misjudged that woman. <laughs> oh, you'll be sorry for this, John Bickerson. You just wait and see. Oh, please, Blanche, I'm so tired and I have to make a 7 o'clock train. That means I have to get up before 6. Why do you need so much time? Well, I have to pack my suitcase, don't I? You haven't got a suitcase. Oh, I have, too. I bought a brand new one yesterday. It's in the closet. No, it isn't. 
Yes, it is. I put it there last night. I took it out this morning. What? Amos borrowed it. Oh, Blanche, he didn't. You didn't let that weasel take my brand new suitcase. I've never even used it. Don't scream so. You can carry your stuff in a paper bag. <laughs> paper bag? My suits will get all wrinkled. No, they won't. Amos borrowed them, too. Now, look, Blanche. I see no reason for you to carry on like this, John. Blanche. Amos is going on a sailing trip with some very important businessmen, and he won't hurt your silly old suitcase. Blanche. He has to have something to bring the fish home in. He's going to carry fish in my suitcase, and I have to put my clothes in a gunny sack. Well, stay home, then. I can't stay home. If you leave me here alone in this horrid house tomorrow night, I'll... All right, all right, all right. I'll call Amos. I'll have him come over and stay here till I get back. Put the lights on. (laughs) Honest Blanche, if I don't go on this trip tomorrow, I'm liable to lose my job. Hello? Amos, this is John. Hi, Jocko. What's new? Say, I, I want to ask a little favor, Amos. I have to go out of town tomorrow, and Blanche is afraid to stay here alone. Could you come over and spend the night? What's in it for me? What a chiseler. Is it worth a double sawbuck, Jocko? Okay, $20. And all the bourbon I can drink? All the bourbon you can drink. And can I bring a couple of friends over? Bring some friends. Take a note. You won't back out, Jocko. I give you my word of honor. Okay, I'll be over tomorrow. Uh, wait, Amos, when you come over, uh, uh, you might bring my new suitcase with you. I might bring it, but I won't. Because I already hocked it. Good night, Jacko. Ooh, how I hate that man. See what you make me go through just because you pretend you're scared to be alone? I'm not going to be alone. What? Mother's coming over to stay for the rest of the year. Good night, John. Oh, no. This is Donna Michi with you the days. Good nights and good luck until we meet again. Everybody's talking about DREF, the greatest dishwashing discovery in 2,000 years. DREF, D-R-E-F-T, DREF, Procter & Gamble's sudsing miracle. that gets dishes so clean they shine even without wiping. Yes, it makes even glasses sparkle like jewels. DREF simply can't leave any streaks on dishes the way all soaps do. Why, with DREF, your nicest glassware positively shines. DREF is kind to your hands, too. Get DREF in the bright green package. That's D-R-E-F-T, DREF. Remember, never before dream, yes, never before dream, could any shampoo reveal 100% of the natural luster of your hair. Listen next Sunday for another pleasant half hour with Don Amici, Danny Thomas, Francis Langford, Carmen Dragon, and his orchestra. Stay tuned for X-1 next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Sci-Fi Radio is next with X-1. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... 
Tonight's story, The Sea Shoot by Isaac Asimov. We were on our way home to Earth when it happened. Six of us coming home as passengers aboard the merchant spaceship Starfire. At the start of the second interstellar war, the one between Earth and the planet Chloro. And then it happened. Now hear this. Condition red. Condition red. We are under attack from a Chloran battlecruiser. All hands forward to battle stations. Passengers will remain confined to the after cabin. Condition red. We are being attacked. The interception by the Chloran cruiser, the murderous running duel of energy blasts and force field defenses. We huddled in the passengers' after cabin, terrified, not knowing how the battle was going. We could hear the desperate bursts of steam through the steering tubes as the Starfire maneuvered to dodge the enemy attacks. And then... Now what? Uh, beginning of the end, you might call it. Well, what does it mean, Stuart? You were a space pilot? It means our generators have been drained of energy. We can't fight back. But, Monsieur... All right, don't worry. They won't destroy us. They need our ship too badly. They'll simply board us and take over. But what about the crew? The crew, Colonel? If they have any sense, they'll surrender. If they choose to fight, they'll... Now, they're coming aboard. Now, be very still. Oh, Mother in heaven, help Would us. Would you be still? If only those fools on deck will surrender without a struggle. They are fighting. Yes, it's the end. We've got to help them. All right, don't open that door. We just can't let them die. You can't help them. I'm going. How to stop, stop him. All right. Anesthesi. Shut the door quickly. Anesthesi. My brother. That poor fool. I'll get them. My brother, I swear to you, I'll get them. Yeah, you better cover his body. The brutes. The monstrous, green-skinned brutes. They're no more brutes than we are, Colonel. This is a war. Are you defending them? I'm merely pointing out the facts. I ought to strangle you. Why not save it for the chloros? I will. I promise you I will. They're probably deciding right now what to do with us. We might as well settle down and wait. We sat there, the five of us. And listened while the Chloran invaders killed off the members of the Starfire's crew. Among us was Colonel Anthony Wyndham, an old Colonel Blimp type with a lame leg. Wyndham had spent his life in the militia back on Earth, but had never seen a battle. There was Demetrius Polyarchitis, who had just watched his brother being killed by a chlorocarbonizer. Polly was a huge man. He and his brother had tried truck farming in Arcturus and given it up after two seasons. Then there was LeBlanc a sensitive, frightened young man of 22, and Randolph Mullen, who looked like somebody's caricature of a bookkeeper, a mild, balding, milk-toast little man. And there was myself, John Stewart. I was the only one who'd ever had contact with the chloro people. I had a pair of artoplasm hands to prove it. It is quiet now. Yeah, they've finished with the crew. Mr. Stewart? Yes, Mr. Mullen. What do you think will happen next? Well, they'll put a prize crew of two aboard and take us to one of their home planets as prisoners of war. Only two of the Chloros will stay aboard? Well, two is all they'll need. 
Why, Colonel, you're thinking of leading a gallant raid to retake the ship? Well, simply a point of information, dash it. All right, then let me give you another point of information. If you want to commit suicide quick, just open that bulkhead door. Three steps inside, you'd fall on your face. But why? Don't you smell anything, LeBlanc? Get close to the door. <laughs> it smells like gas. Yeah, it is gas. Chlorine gas. They breathe it like we breathe oxygen. They've chlorinated the whole cruise compartment. One big whiff of that and we'd all be dead. So just forget about rushing the chloros. How do you know so much about their habits, Stuart? I lived on a chloro planet for six months. You see these hands? They were mangled in the oxygenating machinery of my own quarters. They grew these artoplasm things and operated. They're weak, but at least I have hands again. Monsieur Stewart. Yeah. Will they? Will they kill us? No. Why do you say that? Because in their own way, they're gentlemen. Probably will be interned for the duration. You call them gentlemen? After they kill my brother in cold blood, you call them gentlemen? You know, Stuart, you sound more and more like a blasted greeny sympathizer. Blasted, man. Where's your patriotism and loyalty? My loyalty is where it belongs, with honesty and decency, regardless of the shape of the being it appears in. This is a ridiculous war. Why are we fighting these people? We can live only on planets with oxygen, and oxygen is poison to them. They can live only in chlorine atmosphere, which is deadly to us. Yet we're fighting them over a bunch of worthless asteroids that neither of us can live on comfortably. Well, it's, it's a matter of principle. It's a matter of stupid pride and greed. I don't like what you say, mister. Why not? Because you talk too nice about these greeny scum. They're good to you, eh? Well, they weren't good to my brother. They killed him. And I think maybe I'll kill you, you rotten greenish... Right, holy... Mullen, Mullen, grab him. I can't break his hold. They are coming in. Holy, let him go. They saved your life this time. But when I'm finished with them... What? what? I think they're opening the lock. Well, don't get between us. Holy, don't lose your head. They'll kill us all. was not a pleasant sight to anyone unused to him. He was about the height of an Earthman, but the top of him was just a green stalk with eyes. He was still wearing a spacesuit to protect him from the oxygen in our compartment. In one of his tendrils, he carried a chloran gun. As he stood in the doorway, I could see Polyarchitis' eyes begin to glisten with rage. Then, with a bellow like a huge bull, he threw himself at the chloro. He is not dead. our own planet within several weeks, your time. There you'll be interned for the duration of the war. If any of you attempts to leave this compartment, we shall be forced to destroy you. That is all I have to communicate. Hadn't we better do something for Mr. Polly Arcades? Oh, he'll be all right. Just hoist him up in the cot. <laughs> Yes. Bye, Polly. Can you hear me, you stupid brute? His voice is coming back. 
Now, I know what's going on in that thick skull of yours, Polly. You think that when the paralysis wears off, you'll ease your feelings by slamming me around some more. Well, if you do, it'll be curtains for all of us. How do you mean, sir? None of you know the chloros the way I do. Unlike us, they assume automatically that any group of Earthmen they find together comprises a biological grouping, like an ant colony. The result is that they consider the group as something, well, something holy. Now, they'd never break us up. And if one of us did any harm to another, they'd have us all executed as a bunch of chlorotype perverts, a non-functioning group. So call all the names you want, but keep your hands to yourself or we're finished. My little speech had a sobering effect on the group. For the next 24 hours, we did little besides eat our rations and think. I tried to evaluate them. The colonel I had figured for an old windbag. Polyarchitis was a hate-filled brute. LeBlanc would crack first. It was like a frightened child. Mullen? Mullen was a non-entity. A mouse instead of a man. Everything he did seemed prissyish. His voice had the quality of furtively rustling underbrush. How long did you say the trip would take, Mr. Stewart? Well, the chloro said about two weeks. Gentlemen, uh, if I may interrupt. Colonel? Now, it has occurred to me that perhaps you know of some some weakness that might enable us to overcome these chloros. The only weakness they've got is that they can't stand oxygen. Oh, but there must be some way to get the best of the man. After all, there are only two. Before I answer, Colonel, I have to know your motive. Is it to save your own skin or help Earth win the war? Oh, dash it, man, to help our side, of course. What we're looking for is the way to save the ship for Earth without losing our lives, yes? Well, all right, let's take a vote, then. LeBlanc? I... I have a wife waiting on Earth, Mr. Stewart. I do not want to die. Uh Uh-huh. Hero number one. What about you, Mullen? I don't see how we could accomplish it without... Uh Uh-huh. Hero number two. Well, Polyarchitis... When I kill Glorus, it will be with my bare hands. On their planet, I will kill dozens, I promise you. Ah, uh-huh, three down. Well, Colonel, don't you want to march to glory, an old militia man like you? Your attitude is very cynical and unbecoming, Stuart. I see. Well, then I'll have to blow the ship up myself. Stuart! Don't worry, Colonel. I don't intend to be a dead hero. Of course, there is a way we might do it. What did you say, Mr. Mullen? There's a spacesuit and magnetic boots stored in that locker over there. We might be able to reach the control room from the outside of the ship. The outside? But how would we get outside? Well, this compartment has a sea chute. It must. What is a, a, a sea chute? A sea chute, my boy, is a casualty chute. It doesn't get talked about much, but all the main compartments have them. They're just little airlocks down which you slide a corpse. Burial in space. Oh, blasted Mullen, uh, suppose you did get outside. How could you re-enter the ship? Uh, through the steam tubes, the ones they use to guide the ship. Wait a minute, Mullen, what do you know about steam tubes? I thought you were a bookkeeper. Well, on Arcturus, I got interested in spaceship models. I, I studied all about them. On my own time, of course. Yeah, yeah, naturally. At, at any rate, I learned that the steam tubes have an access vent directly to the control room for repairs and, and so forth. And the claws, they are in the control room. Uh, what do you think, Stuart? Well, it's a video sort of idea, but it might just work. 
We could get permission from the Toros to open the sea chute and bury Paulie's brother. And one of us could slip into it, work forward, and climb up through the steam tube. The question being, which one? What about you? You with your loud talk and your sneers. I'm no hero, Paulie. I've already said that. My object is to stay alive. The steam tube let go while you were in it, you'd be broiled like a lobster. Well, how about the colonel here? If I were younger, blasted, I'd trounce you. You know very well with my injured leg. Yeah, of course. Not to mention my artificial hands. Well, now, what unfortunate deformities do the rest of us have? Polly? You just keep talking, Mr. Big Mouth, and pretty soon we'll kick your teeth in. Of course, that's your standard reply to everything, isn't it? LeBlanc, will you do it? I... I cannot. Not even to get back to Denise? Please, I, I cannot... LeBlanc needn't go. I'll do it. What? After all, it is my idea. Wait a minute. Are you serious, Mullen? Yes. Well, how... Well, I don't understand. Why? Why you? Well, it... It seems no one else will do it. But that's no reason, man. I can't think of any other. Uh, look here. Do you really intend to go through with it, sir? Yes, I suppose I do. Well, dash it, man. Let me shake your hand. You, you're, you're an Earthman, by heaven. You do this thing and win or die. I'll bear witness for you. <laughs> It was quite a moment. Mullen the mouse had suddenly turned into a man. He just stood there awkwardly while the colonel pupped his hand. Polyakita seemed stunned. LeBlanc was wide-eyed. And I? Well, I was in a peculiar position, one in which I rarely found myself. I had absolutely nothing to say. That ought to bring them. I hear one. One member of our unit is dead, as you know. We request permission to jettison his body out of the casualty chute. You may do so. You'll have to open the chute lock from the control room. I will do so. Is there anything else? No. Nothing else. Thank you. Oh, boy. All right, come on now. We'll have to work fast. Mulling... Get into a space suit from the emergency locker. Polly, help Mom with those magnetic boots. Hurry. I'm working as fast as I can. The arm. There. All right, give me the helmet. The helmet. Okay. Now, Mullen, you better scratch your nose if you have to. It's your last chance for a while. What about radio contact? You can talk to us. We'll listen in on the helmet set in one of the other suits. The chloros won't have their set on the interphone frequency. Wait a moment. What for? Dash it, what's he going to use for a weapon? He isn't big enough to fight them barehanded. Oh, no, that's true. Well, how about one of those oxygen cylinders? Good idea. Use it to bash them over the head. Now, give them one of the cylinders equipped with a reducing valve. Now, look, Mullen, if your magnetic boots fail and you start drifting away into space, open this valve. See that? Now, you can use it like a miniature jet and try to blow yourself back to the ship. Understand? Uh, I think so. Well, I only hope it works. All right, here goes the helmet. You'd better hurry. The light is on over the sea chute. Yeah. All right. That means they've opened the lock. Here. Now, can you hear me? Oh, LeBlanc, give me that other space helmet. Yes, here. Let me switch on the radio. Can you hear me, Mullen? I hear you. Fine. Plenty of air? Air's okay. Uh huh. Polly, open the sea chute. 
Okay, now help him in. All right, ready? Ready. Well, good luck. Close the chute. Pull the ejector valve. Now. He's out. Oh, God help him. The light is out. Yeah. The chloros have closed the chute lock. I... I don't suppose he has much of a chance. No. Do you think... Uh, do you think he knew it? I don't know. I just don't know. Should I, I, I try to contact him on the radio? Yes, I think... Wait a minute. What is it? Listen, the chloro's coming. Good Lord. He's sure to miss Mullen. Yeah, Polly, get your brother's body on the cot. Put a blanket over it. Pretend it's Mullen asleep. Polly, for heaven's sake. My brother. Right, you've got to do it, man. It's our only chance. Listen, if Mullen could go out there and Very rescue... Very well. I will do it. Yes. You have jettisoned the body? Yes. Good. Is there something further we can do? No, I... We are very tired. Our grief is very great at losing one of our unit. We would like to rest alone. I will respect your wishes. I see that one of your units sleeps already. Yes, yes, Mr. Mullen was overcome with grief. I leave you. Brother, Polly, I thought, sure, you were going to rush him. With that brave little guy out there, what do you think I am anyway? And to think I laughed at him makes me ashamed. Yeah, I guess... I guess I've been saying some things that maybe weren't too funny. I owe all of you an apology. <clears throat> you think it's safe to try the radio? Yeah, we better. Hello? Hello, Mullen. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I hear you. Where are you? I'm standing on the outside of the ship. All right, now take care. One misstep and you'll be marooned in space. Now, can you find the steam tubes? I think I've found one of them already. I can feel the rim. I just hope it doesn't let go when I get inside. Be careful. I'm going into the tube now. I can feel the ladder rungs I used to repair the inside. Keep in contact. I'm in the tube now. Good Lord. They've let go with a blast. Yeah, well, it may be the starboard tubes. Mullen, Mullen. Still here. <sighs> they use the other tubes, fortunately. Now, if they don't try to correct for over-deflection... Yeah, keep moving. I seem to be... Wait. Yes, yeah, I'm at the end of the tube now, where it opens into the control room. Good, good. Now, look, there's a small metal door there. Can you feel it? Yes, I... I'm afraid it's locked from the other side. Oh. I can't budge it. Mullen. Mullen, listen to me. Stuart, I'm scared. I'm terribly scared. Yeah, all right, all right. Now, hang on. Don't blow up. Listen to me. Are you listening? Yes. Take the spare oxygen tank. Bang on the metal door that leads to the control room. The chloros are bound to hear you. When one of them comes to investigate, try to hit him with a cylinder. Now, aim... For the stalk on top of his body. Try to blind him. Will you do that? I... I'll try. Well, now go on. Only one can come. The other will stay at the controls. Now start banging. Any luck? No, I... Wait, I... I hear something. 
Something's opening the lock. The door now. I hear. Ah! Mullen. Mullen, what happened? Mullen, can you hear me? Mullen! <laughs> Mullen. Mullen. Oh, it's no use. They must have gotten him. Yeah, he was one brave little guy, that one. But suppose they have just got him in the control room. I mean, maybe he is not dead. Well? Well, then maybe one of us could rush them. We could bang on the door and jump the claw. Well, the first guy would be a cinch to die. Well, I... I would be willing to take the chance. You? Why not? I could try. Not you. I'm the strongest. I do it. Now listen. Listen, you chaps. I'm an old man. I've got nothing to live for anyway. Suppose I throw myself at the ray gun. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Twenty minutes ago, there wasn't one of you who'd risk his little finger to get us out of here. Now you're falling all over each other. Maybe Mr. Mullen teaches us a lesson, huh? Yeah. Okay, Polly, give me the wrench. I'll start banging on the door. They say that selflessness is contagious. I guess maybe it is. I'd been a cynic all my life, a man who believed in nothing. Well, I'd come face to face with four human beings who proved that I'd been living a lie. I knew what I was going to do now. When the chloro came to investigate our compartment, I had it all planned. If only my poor, weak hands would hold out long enough. Ready? Ready. Ready. Here goes... That should bring him. Try again. Wait, wait, listen. Shh. It's at the door. Get ready. It's opening the lock. For poor old Mullen now. Uh, steady. No! Let him have it! Wait! Stop it! Uh, it's not the car! Wait! Good Lord. It's Mullen. Mullen. Get, get the helmet off. That's it. I'm the lift. Mullen. Mullen, are you all right? I, I seem to be quite all right. Well, the chloros. Both dead. At least I hope so. Well, what happened? Well, I banged on the steam tube hatch and a chloro opened it. Yeah? I hit him with a cylinder. It blinded him, I, I guess, but didn't kill him. He grabbed me and pulled me into the cabin. In the struggle, he broke my transmitter. That, that's why I couldn't talk to you. Finally, I managed to, to club him down. Well, what about the other one? The other one almost got me. It must have heard the scuffle and came into the cabin with a ray gun. What I did, I, I guess, was pure reflex. The cabin atmosphere was chlorine, of course, and the greenie didn't have a spacesuit on. Uh -huh. So I just turned on the oxygen valve in that spare tube. It was like spraying an insect with poison. Well, you're a brave man, Mullen. I'd have been scared to death. I... I Mullen, what is it? Mullen. An hour later, false hands and all, I was at the controls of the ship, headed for Earth. We'd gotten rid of the chlorinating equipment and restored the oxygen naturally. Mullen was asleep in the cabin under a sedative. Or so I thought until the cabin door opened. 
Mullen, for Pete's sake, get back to bed. No, I'm quite all right now, really. Do you mind if I watch how you operate the ship? Oh, no, not at all. Sit down. Well, I guess, uh, I owe you an apology. I didn't think too much of you. That's your privilege. <laughs> no, it isn't anybody's privilege, Mullen, to despise another. For years now, I've abandoned hope for finding any decency in human beings. I owe you a vote of thanks. You embarrass me, Mr. Stewart. I, I didn't do it for any heroic reasons, I assure you. Far from it. But why did you do it, Mullen? That puzzles me very much. Well, Mr. Stewart, I'm a bookkeeper. Seventeen years ago, I left Earth to work on Arcturus. I never made much impression on anybody on Earth, although I wanted very much to have people like me. Well, about a year ago, I started to write to my family again. Don't ask me why. And then I asked for a leave of absence to go home after 17 years. Well, I still don't understand. It wasn't patriotism or love of a woman or money or any of those things. What was it? Mr. Stewart, haven't you ever been homesick? You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy's Science Fiction Magazine which this month features A Gun for Dinosaur by L. Sprague de Camp, a story of hunters in the bloodiest and most ferocious arena of all prehistoric Earth, where hunting reptile heavyweights is no job for human lightweights. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Sea Shoot, a story from the pages of Galaxy, written by Isaac Asimov and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow, Stan Early, Bob Hastings, Mercer McLeod, Danny Ocko, and John Gibson. Your announcer, Bill McCord. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Gunsmoke, followed by Jack Benny. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.